Hello, and welcome back to the Automotive Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the world-famous race that I'm sure everyone is aware of. A couple things I want to talk about right off the bat. Uh, Number one, the 24 Hours of Le Mans is happening right now. The weekend that this episode is released is the same weekend that the 24 Hours of Le Mans is going on. So finish this episode and then go watch the race, uh, because hopefully you'll be really excited about it and know a little bit more about it, and it will be way more interesting to watch um, after you're a little more informed. So that was definitely the inspiration for this podcast episode also, Um, so it's not a coincidence. Secondly, the history of this race is dense. Um, Usually I spend the majority of the week when I prepare for an episode doing research, um, and I barely scratch the surface uh, on this race. It has been such a core part of the automotive world for nearly a century now, Um, And so this episode is going to talk about the key points and some highlights throughout the history, but it certainly does not talk about everything. And if you want to learn more, I highly encourage you to go do your research because there is a ton of information on this race and it has a fascinating history. Thirdly, as I'm sure some of you know if you listen to older episodes, I struggle with names and pronouncing names. Um, And this episode has a lot of names, so I apologize for any mispronunciations. With those things out of the way, let's get right into it. So, off the bat, what is the 24 Hours of Le Mans? It is what's called an endurance race. It lasts for 24 hours. The car is driven for an entire day. They start when it is light out, they drive through the night... You know, with the sunset, then sunrise, uh, they continue driving the next day until they have driven for 24 hours. The winner is determined by who goes the longest distance in that time. Who has the most amount of laps completed within the 24 hours is the winner. And this kind of racing is interesting for a couple of reasons. The first is it requires the car to both have speed and endurance. It is like the complete opposite of a drag race. A drag race is solely how fast can the car go in a very, very short amount of time. This race, the car needs to be able to maintain speed. It needs to be quick. It needs to complete laps in the least amount of time to therefore complete the most amount of laps, but it needs to do that without breaking down, and these cars are being pushed to their limit for 24 hours. So it really takes a well-built car that is fast, not just a fast car, to do well in this race. And then on top of that, driver skill is extremely important. A driver has to be able to handle a very powerful car for a long time and not get tired and not lose focus. These cars go incredibly fast, and the drivers need to be paying attention all the time. I mean, it is physically exhausting and mentally exhausting. So just completing the 24 hours of Le Mans is an incredibly impressive feat. Because of the challenges associated with the 24 hours of Le Mans, if you complete it or win it, 
you have proven as a car manufacturer that your cars are reliable, you know what you're doing, you have the best drivers, you have fast, reliable cars. So it was really a marketing tool to prove the ability of a certain manufacturer. And that was the origin of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. From its very beginning, it was seen as a testing ground, a place to prove a concept is worthy of development and to show any new technology advances and the benefits associated with them. So not only is it competitive, but it also encourages and improves cars for everyone uh, because it gives the place for automotive manufacturers to show off their cars and to show how well built their cars are. So the very first 24 Hours of Le Mans was held in 1923. The original course was 10.7 miles long and was named after the nearby river of Sarthe. So the circuit was called Circuit de la Sarthe. Um, and this course was made up of public roads throughout the city of Le Mans, which is in France. Um, today's track is a little bit shorter, coming in at 8.467 miles. Um, but it's still an extremely long track. In fact, it's one of the longest tracks in the world, and it still includes the use of public roads to this day. I also want to quickly mention that when drivers compete in the 24 Hours of Le Mans, uh, they drive in shifts. It is not one driver driving for 24 hours. That would be probably too difficult. It's usually a couple drivers, and they switch out, uh, taking turns taking on the driving responsibility. Um, so just, yeah, not one driver doing 24 hours. That would suck. The layout of this track is also, it's its a fast track. Um, according to drivers, they say about 85% of the time, they have the car at full throttle. So it's definitely a quick track and requires a great deal of attention. I mean, if you are pushing these incredibly powerful cars, 80% of the time at full throttle, you definitely need to be aware of what's around you. So again, just back to the idea of physically exhausting, you're being tossed around these corners, you're experiencing multiple Gs of acceleration, and you have to be really paying attention, so mentally draining as well. An interesting little fact is when the 24 Hours of Le Mans was first an idea, when it was first created, it was actually planned that the winner would not be crowned after just one race, but instead the race would be run three times, once each year, and then the team with the highest average distance over those three years of racing would be the winner. Um, this is a bit unpractical. You can't determine a winner until three years have gone by, uh, so... It didn't last long. This idea was pretty quickly dropped and changed to just simply every race a winner uh, would be crowned based on distance and there would be no multi-year championship type thing. So in May of 1923, the first race was held. It would be won by a three-liter Chenard and Walker and this car would travel a total distance of 1,300 miles. 
Surprisingly, the first race, the one in 1923, was completed by over 95% of the cars that entered. This is not usually the case. Usually the majority of the cars crash out or malfunction and they have to drop out of the race. But this very first one, uh, most of the cars that entered would finish. For the next 13 years, the race would take place every single year. Um, and different winners would be crowned. An interesting part of this is that the racing was mostly done by men, uh, but that does not mean that women did not take part at all. In fact, in 1930, two women would enter the race driving a Bugatti Type 40. Their names were Margaret Marisi and Odette Saikol. Again, sorry for any mispronunciations. Um, but they would enter the race only seven years after the very first one. In 1935, ten women would take part in the race, and in 1934, Sikoh, uh, who was part of the team who drove the Bugatti in 1930, would actually take fourth place in the race. So from the very beginning, this race was available to everyone, including women. The race would be cancelled for the first time in 1936 due to worker strikes, and then it would be cancelled due to World War II, um, and it would not pick up again until 1949. Uh, however, after the war, the race really came back with a bang. It had more cars and more manufacturers competing in it than ever previously. This would also be the time that Ferrari would start to make its presence known in the world of Le Mans, and Ferrari would take its first win at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1949. Another thing that occurred after World War II with the 24 Hours of Le Mans is it was included in several different championships. And when I say that, I do not mean that the Le Mans organizers created a championship around the 24 Hours of Le Mans, other people set up racing championships and chose to include the 24 Hours of Le Mans as a race where drivers could win points for the overall championship. So the 24 Hours of Le Mans was just simply one race out of a whole bunch that was included in the championship. But the outcome of this was it became more competitive it moved away from that idea of simply testing newer vehicles and proving vehicles. It became more of an environment of let us beat other manufacturers. Let us not only show that our car is good, let's show that our car is better than other cars by actually winning this thing. So it really created a competitive environment around the 24 Hours of Le Mans. In response, companies began bringing multiple cars to the track to increase their chances of beating rival companies. They also made the cars faster in the hopes to win, and this increase in competition had two effects. One I just said, faster cars. The other one, more accidents. At this point, the track was kind of aging. It was first race in 1923, and now this is getting into the 1950s. And cars were getting faster, much faster, and the track was not really designed for it, which is a pretty common uh, issue within the racing world, that these classic older tracks simply 
aren't capable of having safe races when the speeds of cars are increasing so much. And this unfortunately led to the worst crash in automotive history that would take place at 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1955. This crash would occur early in the race. It would be caused due to the pit layout on this circuit. Essentially, the pits were just on the side of the track. There was no pit lane. Uh, If anyone watches modern racing, whenever a car needs to pit, it goes into an entirely separate lane from the track to then slow down and enter the pits. During this time, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, there was no separate lane. Drivers would literally just slow down on the track and then go onto the shoulder where their pit would be and their car would be fueled or new tires or whatever they needed. And so what happened was that a driver named Mike Hawthorne, who was driving for Jaguar, began to slow down to enter his pit. The driver behind him, named Lance Macklin, swerved to avoid the slowing Jaguar. And what this caused is Macklin swerved to the left to avoid the slowing Jaguar and basically put him right in the path of a much faster Mercedes, who was driven by a man named Levegue. And Levegue didn't have time to react, uh, and he collided with the rear end of Macklin's car at about 120 miles per hour. This caused the Mercedes to be launched into the air and fly into a packed spectator stand. The Mercedes was made from magnesium alloy, which is extremely flammable. So as the car made several impacts in the spectator stand, it began to come apart, causing bits of burning car to be launched at spectators. Levegue, the driver of the Mercedes, was killed during the crash. No other drivers were killed, but lots of spectators were. The number of people that passed away was never officially released. Estimates range from 65 to 130 people. However, most common number is about 83 people passing away that day. Another 180 people would be injured. Amazingly, the race was not canceled. They did not red flag the race, and it continued almost as if nothing had happened. Mercedes, however, would pull out of the race and suspend racing throughout the entire company for many years due to this tragedy. Jaguar would end up winning that 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, but certainly a bit of a sour victory considering what had happened earlier. Officially, no drivers would be blamed for this crash, although officials would just cite the older track as the main cause of the crash, as it was not designed for racing at these speeds, and it did not have a separate pit lane. Obviously, this crash would lead to large changes in the track to improve safety for both spectators and drivers. One of these changes was the addition of chicanes, which are now called the Ford chicanes, and they were designed to slow down the cars as they reached the pit area. Uh, After this tragedy, racing would continue for the next couple years, In 1966, we would enter what is called the Golden Age of Racing. Uh, This would be the time where the famous GT40 would enter the world of Le Mans to stop the domination of Ferrari. 
1966, the Ford GT40 would end up stopping Ferrari, and they stopped Ferrari dead in their tracks. The GT40 claimed first, second, and third, completely removing Ferrari from the podium. And then, just to put a cherry on top, Ford would then go on to win the next four years of Le Mans. This would also be the time where a significant removal of tradition would occur. Traditionally, the start of the 24 Hours of Le Mans would be that the cars would line up on one side of the track, the drivers would line up on the other side of the track, and when it was time to go, the drivers would run over to their cars, hop in as fast as they can, and take off. Uh, This would be changed in the 1970s. And this change would mostly come about because of a man named Jackie Ix. And Ix did not support this form of starting because in 1968, his fellow Belgian, a man named Willy Marisi, would be seriously injured due to this kind of starting. And the main problem with drivers running to their cars is that they would not take the time to properly secure themselves in the car, at least at the very start. You know, if you're running to your car, you want to start as soon as you can, so you aren't in last. So would you put on your seatbelt? Would you put on your helmet? Would you put on your gloves? Would you make sure all the safety stuff is set up properly? Probably not. You just go. And that's what happened to Willie. He did not put on his safety equipment or his equipment was not properly set up and an accident would occur and he would be seriously injured. He would not die due to this accident, but it would cripple him and it would end his racing career. Sadly, Willie would take his own life several years after that. So Ix wanted this kind of start to end. He didn't like it. And the way he protested this was at the start when he was lined up across from his car and they said go. Did he run? Did he sprint to his car as fast as possible? No. He walked slowly to his GT40. And he would start the race in dead last. And then he'd go on to win the overall race. And this protest was noticed by organizers, and the rules would be changed so that the cars would start from a rolling start, with the drivers already inside the cars and already all set up with all safety equipment properly in its place. In 1980, one of the coolest things that I found ever happened Um, A man named Jean Rondu would go on to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans in a car he built himself. He did not have the backing of any car manufacturer. He was not a sponsored team. He built the car himself and would win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I plan on doing an episode covering that car because that, I think that'd be fascinating that he built this himself and it was that successful. In the 1980s, uh, pretty large changes would come to the 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, and there would be a move that caused manufacturers to focus more on the efficiency of their cars rather than overall speed. And this would kind of change Le Mans to be a place of development instead of raw competition. So it kind of 
brought it back to its real origin, where it was a place of creation and a place of testing new ideas. During this time, Mercedes would finally come back to racing for the first time since the crash in 1955, and the efficiency-focused era would definitely be dominated by Porsche, but it would also be the first time that a Japanese manufacturer would win in the form of Mazda. They would win in 1991. Peugeot would take wins for the first time in 1992 and would win again in 1993. A new speed record was set, however. So even though these cars were supposed to be more efficient and you know less focused on speed, they were not slow cars. Don't get the idea that these were weak or less powerful than anything else. Um, a new record was set during this time of 405 kilometers per hour, which is about 251 miles per hour. So pretty quick. Around this time, also, sadly, manufacturers started to pull out of the race um, and only left two major manufacturers competing in the form of Cadillac and Audi. Audi would dominate this time. Cadillac really couldn't do anything. However, that's not that impressive because, uh, well, all legacy car manufacturers were not there and Audi didn't really have uh, very significant competitors. This era of low participation would last from 1990 to around 2010. Uh, after 2010, other manufacturers began to trickle back into the race, and new tech came with them. And this new tech? Electric and hybrid cars. The majority of wins after 2010 would be taken by hybrid cars. This would include the Porsche 919, and the TS-050 hybrid, which was created by Toyota. And that's pretty much where the 24 Hours of Le Mans stands today. The track is slightly different, has some added chicane, slightly shorter, but still still very much like the original circuit. Um, and hybrid and electric cars are moving in, and they are starting to really be the top competitors for this form of racing and this very famous race in particular. As I mentioned before, race is going on right now. So if you enjoyed this episode, why not go watch it? Um, it's it's an amazing race. It has had so much influence on the automotive industry. And in just three years, there will have been almost 100 Le Mans races. I say almost because, you know, World War II kind of kind of was a problem um but it's it's truly a pure form of racing and a lot of the cars that we know and love and a lot of amazing stories have been created through the 24 hours of Le Mans it has its tragedies it's had its hard times but it has also been a place of goal completing and dream reaching I mean if you watch Ford versus Ferrari the 24 Hours of Le Mans is something very special, and everyone, I think, should be able to appreciate it, learn its history, and go watch it. That's going to do it for the episode on the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to support the show, you can hit me up on my social media. My Instagram is automotive.podcast. My Twitter is at automotivepod. 
and my Facebook is at Automotive Podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcast or a different uh, podcast service that allows reviews, leaving a review would mean a ton, and I always appreciate that. If you're listening on Spotify or something, just giving a follow, showing any kind of love, sharing it with your friends, I greatly appreciate it. Again, I hope you enjoyed, and I will see you next week.